0: It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time to go. It's, it's over! over. The the air air. It's over! The 52-year round is over! The Cavaliers have won the NCAA Championship! Cleveland, this is for you! Mitchell. Goes to the basket
1: and buries Cornette!
0: Garland high steps over the timeline, stunts on a dime, hits the three! Garland has been unreal here in the fourth quarter. Jack
2: clock down to five.
0: The shoot around.
2: Welcome back to the club, everybody. We've been out of pocket for a bit, but wanted to jump on and break down a few things we've observed over these last few weeks. They just beat the crap out of the Utah Jazz, but they've been playing some close ones recently, and thanks to some lockdown defense and timely buckets, the team has already hit the 20-win mark for the year. Did you think the Cavs would be this successful by this point in the season, Colin, or have they underperformed to your expectations?
0: I think you and I were pretty bullish on the team, so yeah, I think we were expecting they would be close to the 20-win mark. Even though their win against the Jazz was awesome, I think there's some stuff that the team is still working out. But it's a long season, and I'm happy that the team is getting some clutch wins, even if sometimes it's in an ugly style. Make sure
2: you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or follow us on the podcast player of your choice. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we post our video episodes plus extra content that doesn't make the show. And be sure to leave a comment. We'd love for you to engage with the club.
0: As we mentioned at the top of the show, we've been gone for a few weeks and have missed out on covering 14 games. We've seen some really good and, frankly, some really bad over this stretch. Of the slightly larger Baker Dozen, the Cavs have gone 9-5, and five, with convincing wins against the 76ers, Lakers, Pacers, and now the Jazz, but played awful on the road against the Raptors, Knicks, and the Spurs. They're currently 15-2 of two at home and 6-9 of nine away. What has stood out to you over this stretch, Adam? Definitely the road
2: record. <laughs> That's just been... <laughs> oh it hurts so much thankfully we've really been able to show up at home even with Mm -hmm. some of the injury issues i know it seems that at least memory serves that a lot of our injury issues have happened more on the road than not Allen has missed more road games Mm -hmm. than home games for example and that's another thing that stuck out as well over this stretch that we really will ride or die this year with jared allen Yes, Mitchell, obviously, if he doesn't continue to be the unbelievable superstar that he's shown up to be, if Garland somehow drops off, which right now I think he actually is playing a little undervalued of, of what he can do, so perhaps his eye is still bothering him or whatever's going on there, we don't know. But really, looking across the board, certain guys can miss certain nights. Obviously, Mitchell is one of the most important players on the team, but Allen, even... If he plays or not, Alan is the guy that when he's not out there, we have a harder time winning these games. And tonight's game, that's when we recorded this one, the jazz game. What a breath of fresh air. But mm-hmm. on a night when they shoot, you know, 60 plus percent from the field and over 50% from three and Jetty gets 20 points in the fourth quarter. You know, yeah. it's a skewed reality we have here. So we're, we're feeling yeah. very good tonight. I would say... This is kind of the penultimum of what we're hoping the Cavs can be this season. That Mm -hmm. when they're firing on all cylinders and fully healthy, that they can look like this against any team in the league. Especially a a top 10 team, which the Jazz are proving to be a play-in team, most likely the way that they're, Mm -hmm. they're coming in this year. And I would just say the other thing to point out before passing the baton off to you is out of the losses that you mentioned, I would say the Knicks game is probably the one that hurt the most, simply because looking at the stats, I don't know how we only scored 81 points. You had Donovan Mitchell with 23, Garland with 17, Mobley with 11, Jetty with 10, but after that, nobody. So I suppose that's what happens. But on a team with so much firepower, so much possibility on offense, that game really brought me pretty down i was really Mm -hmm. in need of another game after that to kind of wash it out of my mouth how about you
0: yeah i think you kind of hit the nail on the head right there what you were getting into which is their offense just is not gelling and it's for a lot of reasons in when it clicks it clicks extremely well what we saw against the jazz they ran them out of the gym But there are too many times for this team where their offense gets herky-jerky and clunky and they have possessions that are just wasted because they're not trusting each other, they're not passing and moving. And a lot of that could be their youth, but I also think a lot of it is what you were also mentioning, which is their injuries have been weird. You know, Lamar is missing some time right now after not really playing at the beginning of the season. We have Dean Wade out. We've had, I believe, Kevin Love has missed some time. Karis sorry. LaVert has missed some time. Mitchell has missed. Allen. Everybody has missed a little bit of time. Dylan and Windler, And I think that that is just, well, Wendler.
2: Sorry, sorry, Dylan. <laughs> you can just always put him on the list.
0: I'm making a point, and you just throw out Windler under your breath? Come on. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry windler he's the one writing the injury report he just includes himself it's a young team but clearly their offense they need to figure out what the few things are that allow them to click and to move into good offensive sets and to rely on each other and they're just not there right now they're getting wins which is great but when their offense is not doing great when it's sluggish they are eking out wins that Pacers game was just a nail biter the Mavs game where they only won by a point a couple nights ago also just I'm too old for that type of game so they need to figure out the offense a little bit more for me
2: yeah I agree I think the offense at times like you said has been pretty clunky and especially on a night, like I mentioned, against the Knicks where they were 34.9% from the field and 22% from three. Oh. <laughs> That's, that just shouldn't happen on this team. And In contrast, yeah. what happened with the Jazz game tonight, we were 61.4% from the field and 57.7% from three. Jetty Osman with 22 points in 24 minutes. Donovan Mitchell with 23 points in 23 minutes. Jared Allen with 20 points in 30 minutes. I mean, this was just a perfect night for the Cavs. Everything that they could possibly mm-hmm. be, we got to see tonight. And for the first half, we got to miss Markinen for just, just a second. Just a second. But mm-hmm. overall, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think the offense has been kind of the most surprisingly absent at times in this stretch. But I will say the entire season has been somewhat disappointing defensively. Mm -hmm. Over this stretch, the defense as well has been either phenomenal or Mm -hmm. MIA. Mm -hmm. And the nights that it's been MIA, I've I've had a hard time sticking around for the whole game.
0: I think part of that, again, is just the flow of things. Love is definitely off, and he is the team's worst defender of everybody who plays more than 15 minutes a game. And I think when Love is not rebounding well and not hitting his shot the rest of the guys have to make up for that and that's difficult i'm not excusing it it's just it's where you can see the defense just plummets for certain possessions and i think another person too and we'll probably get into this more is i think garland needs to be better defensively at the point of attack There are too many times he's allowed himself to get caught up in screens. There are too many times he's allowed his man to get open or by him and around him. And that is either effort level or miscommunication. And that needs to get resolved. Luckily, I think what we're seeing is a lot of times that gets resolved during the game faster than the offense. It's just probably the coaching staff and what they're used to with having an Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen. Your floor of how much you can mess up on the defense is larger than on the offense. Right. And I would say, too, something
2: that happened while we were away. Terrence Levert moved to the bench, and Stevens became mm-hmm. the starter. We kind of saw the writing on the wall in the beginning of the season was that could they maintain Levert at the small forward position, with defensive liabilities in Mitchell and Garland just being a small mm. backcourt. And it turned out to be a problem. And they really needed to bring in a defensive-minded guy, whether it be Stevens or a Kuro. That's where they've had to go recently. And I think they're going to have to stick with that. Markinen had defensive troubles, but the fact that he was a 7-footer made up for some of that. It's, but they're undersized in the backcourt and with LaVert out there, they were really lacking on defense in a way they, they couldn't stick with to to be consistent in the way that they need to be.
1: The team is third in the East at 21 and 11. They have Milwaukee and Boston ahead of them and Brooklyn nipping at their heels. Do they belong with these teams at the top or is this premature for only year one with this squad?
0: We got into this at the top of the episode and I think that the Cavs have shown that they belong in this Eastern Conference. This is one of the most impressive Eastern Conferences in not, years but possibly decades. The depth of these rosters, the way that these teams are competing, and the fact that the Cavs are in the top three and eking out wins and getting wins is showing me that they are an elite team. With all that being said, I don't know if they are really at that echelon specifically with the Bucks. I think the Bucks are a separate level because of Giannis. Giannis, we've seen this. He can take over a game. He can take over a series. He can wreck your dreams. He will go in there and just get 45, 50 points with what looks like minimal effort and take over defensively and offensively as well. He is a freak of nature, and I think that that's why I would put the Bucks at like the tippy toppy tier. I mean, they are the the number 1 seed, but I'm creating a new seed called the tippy toppy. And so they they belong there. I think Boston and the Cavs have proven that they're kind of on the same level. The Cavs have already beaten them twice. I think they match up really well with Boston. And I think they give Boston fits because the Cavs are so defensively sound that the Cavs can lean on that defense, and Boston, which is known for their defense, gets flustered by that. It's it's kind of like two magnets, you know, kind of pushing on each other. I think that that's kind of where they rank out with Boston. And the Nets, who knows? The Nets are proving that they're playing better than people expected. Durant is doing really well. He's having an MVP-level season. But all of that could drop off in the next four weeks if somebody steals his peanut butter sandwich at lunch or Kyrie decides that actually we should all be walking to work and it takes him 4 hours to get to Nets practice so who knows with them they could beat the Cavs a few times you know they could take the series against the Cavs but i'm not really concerned about them ultimately down the road because they could get blown up at the trade deadline <laughs> and that's kind of where my head is at with how the Cavs rank or are compared to the rest of those those other teams.
2: Your points are all pretty valid. Right now going to what you mentioned about the Bucks, I think I have to give them mad props for the fact that they've won a championship in the last few years and they have probably mm. one of the greatest players in the league on their team. I'm feeling very high right now about Mitchell and what he's been able to do coming to our team. And I feel like we have a superstar now in the fold, for sure. You know, there was a question of Garland or Mobley or any of these other guys will become superstars as well. But Mitchell is proving that he just is there. And he's punched mm-hmm. his ticket. He's arrived. So that kind of changes the calculus for me when we face a team like the Bucks, knowing that we have our own player in that way. He will always be struggling from three, so you're not going to be seeing much in that category. And, you know, there's only so much one man can do on a team. We've seen that with LeBron James. We're seeing that even with Mitchell now. So I agree with you that he is certainly enough of a reason to pencil them in ahead of us. And just for the fact that they're still pretty intact from the championship team that won it, it makes sense that you would put them there. As far as the Nets are concerned, we should mention them because we've laughed at them quite a bit over the last 12 months. And, you know, I think deservingly so. Sorry, Kevin, if you don't like us poking fun at reality, but you've been a soap opera, not a basketball team. And a huge part of that is Kyrie Irving. So it's nice that Kevin's shooting 56% from the field this year. And it's nice that they're finding a way to win, even though Ben Simmons will probably never play a meaningful game of basketball again for the rest of his career. If Kyrie flakes out for just 10, 15, 20 games, they'll be back to being nothing, or at least in the middle range of talent Mm. for the league, which is not a part of the conversation here. So, yeah, right now the Cavaliers are an intriguing thing because if I didn't stop to take a look at their stats, I would think that we would be maybe fourth or fifth the mm-hmm. fact that we are third it just goes to show that there's a little bit of parody right now and there's some close talent in the east as you mentioned it's probably the most talented east we've seen in a decade or more at least across the board one through nine ten it's just all of them are fairly formidable depending on the night so the fact that we're hanging tough in the top three top five playing some pretty shaky games in the process with four or five guys out on a given night with injury issues, it's promising. It's promising that we're going to end up kind of where we thought at the beginning of the year, which is vying for a one through five spot and Mm -hmm. that we would be in the conversation for playoffs this year to a degree that we would have to be taken pretty seriously, that you could see us knocking some teams off and ending up in the Eastern Conference Finals with the right scenario in our favor. In answer to the overall question, I think that we belong at the top, and that's a pretty bold statement. I'm very happy that it's turned out to be true, but just given what we were able to get with the Mitchell trade and kind of how that rounds out our team and the growth of Mobley and others moving forward, we're looking pretty solid. We have to maintain our health. And we have to hope for a little more consistency from Garland, which we can talk about. But the other thing that I would mention is just, you know, we're doing all this and we don't have Rubio yet. A person who was vying for a sixth man position last year and was a big reason why we had the success we had is
0: still not back in the fold. Are you concerned with Boston at all or not?
2: This year I'm not concerned about anything because to me it's pie in the sky, whatever we do, we're, Mm -hmm. Other than underperforming and missing the playoffs or somehow ending up in the play-in and doing what we did last year in the play-in, I don't think there's really anything that I'm going to look at at the end of the season and say, oh, I wish we would have done more. This is the first year with Mitchell, and clearly they're still trying to figure some things out. So given that Boston has been together now for a few seasons and really are about to peak with the Mm -hmm. team that they have constructed, it makes more sense that they would be a better team than we are this year and eventually lap us in wins. I'm not worried about them because I just kind of expect that they're going to be one of our biggest challenges. I don't mind it at this stage. In two or three mm. years, I want us you know, to be beating them hand to the Right.
0: Lead. I think the the advantage that we have is right now our defense is better than Boston's. It's the best defense in the league. And I think the Cavs, that is something that messes with Boston because Boston's bread and butter is their defense. And so when they're going against teams that are more defensively sound, possibly more physical, faster, stronger on that end, especially when you have Allen and Mobley, that throws them off because Mm -hmm. you have two seven-footers who can guard – two through five, sometimes even one through five, given the night.
1: We're just over a third of the way through the 22-23 season. What's working for this team and what needs to change as soon as possible?
2: Well, we'll start with what is good. We're averaging about 110 points a night, which is nice. We're averaging around 24 assists a night. That's, that's pretty good. The team is also averaging about four blocks. And Thank you, Mobley. Thank you, Alan. Our rebounds some nights have been stellar, where we really out-rebound teams pretty consistently. And other nights, it seems like that's a stat that doesn't matter. Either way, we're going to win. And that's usually a surprise to me, that a team typically has to outperform in a few categories to be consistently a winner. Rebounds are usually in that category, especially offensive rebounds. So, for example, like tonight I saw when we played the Jazz, we had four offensive rebounds to their 15 that is usually a number that would jump out at me and make me think we we could have lost this game <laughs> but thankfully we had a lot of points in transition and in turnovers and that made a big difference so those stats overall most nights were doing okay and I think that's that usually translates to consistent winning Well, and, you know it goes without saying but I guess I'll mention it anyway Mitchell is working on this team it's quite amazing how quickly he's fit in and i'm in some ways wondering if it changes the calculus for the cavaliers about what they may do with garland in the future it's just there's so many things that have come to mind since mitchell has joined the team because when he's run o- the run the offense when he's been in the point guard position we've looked stellar you know when he's out there i almost can put a w in the column so he is absolutely working for this team. His leadership, his drive, the way he takes responsibility after a loss and how he reflects on his game to be able to get the teammates around him more involved. It's just been amazing. It reminds me of being able to watch a LeBron, but with the refreshing experience of it not being LeBron. The change that I would say, there's a couple. On the fundamental side, turnovers are a huge problem. And I know we're gonna mention that here at the end of the show, so you know we won't go too far into it, but I've been surprised at how much we've been turning the ball over and yet been able to win games. And even tonight, we had 20 turnovers, and yet we handedly beat the Jazz. It's a new type of NBA, more fast-paced, more shots put up on, on the glass, not always much of an attention to detail on defense, and time of possession, I think, is a lot shorter. You're just seeing guys not dribble out the clock as much as they used to. So a turnover, as long as you can stop the transition bucket, is not as devastating maybe as it used to be simply because the ball changes hands more often. I have a really hard time watching a team give up 15, 20 a night. And then I'm concerned about our roster. I would say what's not working for me is that we don't seem to have anybody outside of Allen and Mobley for a larger presence under the basket and I think that's going to bite us really hard as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. I like Lopez's game but unfortunately I feel that he might be a little bit aged out. They could be choosing to use him sparingly in the regular season so that they can really lean on him more maybe 10, 15, 18 minutes a night during the playoffs but typically what has been more commonplace over the years is that coaches are really experimenting in the regular season, and then paring down to small lineups, eight, nine guys, and that's it by the time the playoffs come. So I, I really don't see that happening if we don't get him more involved beforehand. Right now, I don't know why we're not, but he just isn't making too much of the rotations. Maybe you have some insight there that I haven't heard, but I know that the, the big guys on this team worry me. I didn't think that I would be missing Markkanen's larger size his presence as much as we have especially knowing that he played more of a perimeter role but I do I miss it and I'm really hoping we can pick up another seven footer or something close before the deadline without having to give anything up that we would like to keep so right now I'm concerned that we're thin in those positions in power forward and center
0: that's a thing that we mentioned at the top with their injuries Dean Wade being out has had larger repercussions. Yes, he played small forward, but also he would rotate in at power forward at times as well and play with Evan, and he's a better defender hands down than Kevin Love is. So you're missing that depth. I agree with you. I think that they either need to bite the bullet and have Diakite or Mobley, Isaiah Mobley, play more minutes with them during the regular season to see how either of those guys pan out because both of them are better room protectors than Robin Lopez, and they both can run the floor better. Lopez is a better rebounder and can set picks better than both of those guys, but they kind of need to figure out what they're going to do with Robin because if they're able to increase their depth at that position, I agree with you that would be helpful. I know that he's a locker room favorite, but if they can figure something out, I think that that would be good. There are a lot of positives with this team. My two things are their pace needs to improve. They're dead last in pace. And the other thing that I think needs to improve is Darius Garland's play. He has looked like he is not comfortable on the floor at times offensively. And I don't know if that's because of the play calling. I don't know if that's because he's not really 100% used to playing with such a great shooter and player as Donovan. Or, as you mentioned earlier, is it his eye that's still bothering him? He could be a little concerned with his physical health in general. He's been hit in the face so much this season that I wouldn't be surprised if he's a little gun shy. But I think Darius really just needs to figure out what he needs to do against certain opponents. It seems like he's kind of flying by the seat of his pants a little bit at times, which is causing more turnovers, which is negating offensive possessions. And he just needs to be a point guard more and get people more involved and break down defenses at a better rate. I think that he can do it. I just Mm -hmm. think that he's still very young but I also wonder the team is clearly making the Cavs run slowly their pace is slow on purpose and I think that's because of the coaching staff and I just wonder if that's negatively affecting this young roster that has the ability to score on transition quicker and so again it kind of goes back to my overall thesis of this episode, which is their offense needs to get flushed out more. I'm not a basketball savant, but you can tell when they look out of sorts. And it just is happening way too often for a team that's number three in the East.
2: Yeah. Well, this league is now about scoring and transition and mm-hmm. the Cavaliers are built to to do that. They they're built to run. They've been pacing intentionally pretty slow out there, but I think it's almost to try to get a grip on their defense again. Because mm-hmm. when they were mm-hmm. when they were going at such a fast pace, I think they were burning themselves out too fast and by the end of the games they had nothing left by the fourth quarter to actually stay competitive. And I agree with you, I think with Garland, I've been concerned from one Stat in particular, which is that he's shooting 42% from the field this year. That's too low. Last year he was 46, the year before he was 45. I want to see him hovering at the 50% mark from the field. And mm. I know that's a lot, but the dude makes the salary and has the talent. He's supposed to be able to shoot it and make it from anywhere. And whenever you hear about his skill set in practice or in the offseason or anything else, it's guys go, oh my God, this guy can just shoot the lights out. Well, then let's start seeing it translate onto mm-hmm. the court. I'm willing to sit here and say, hey, the guy almost had his eyes gouged out. You see him in <laughs> photos even to this day where it's still mm-hmm. drooping a little bit. And I don't blame him, like you said, for being gun-shy for the fact that he's taking shot after shot in such a short period of time for the start of the season. But there are a few th- concerns when you just gave a max contract to a guy and you're going to say, hey, you're, you're the face of this franchise moving forward. Uh, And then you bring in a guy in Mitchell that's just solely just outperforming him every night and proving that, oh, wait, that's the kind of guy you give big money to. Mm
1: -hmm. It's just kind of Mm -hmm. raising
2: the bar to a place that maybe Garland didn't expect that it would be raised this soon. You know, he didn't have to worry Mm -hmm. that Sexton would be challenging things in the way that he is. But in some ways, I think this is good because I do believe that Garland will continue to improve. And right now he might be having something of, of akin to a sophomore slump, but only because mm-hmm. he actually got to have a very like almost overly successful season last year, and then has had kind of a rocky start to this season. So, the final
1: seconds. Going into the Indiana game, besides Mitchell, the rest of the Cavs were hitting only 28.3% of their shots from three during the previous 11 games. How does the team improve this number? And is there a specific player that you think should be shooting better?
2: Well, we just touched on it. Sorry to say again, but Darius Garland, I think is the person that I'm looking to just get a little more from offensively. Looking at his stats, it is unfortunate that he's had donovan mitchell join the team and go super saiyan on him and pump up all of the stats you know just over a 20 game 30 game stretch he's shooting 50 percent from the field and 42 percent from three and so those stats just make you envious across the board that you just want everybody doing that he would be the best team of all time but darius unfortunately <laughs> his stats this year are dipping a little bit he is shooting 43 percent from the field and 38.2 percent from three that's after tonight's jazz game which he shot well he's averaging around 18 points a night it's 20 points right now for the season but lately it's been about 18 and his threes some nights he's one for six some nights he's two for four on the one for six nights yeah that's when we just have to see that start to be a little less frequent I know for me, something that I've noticed on his game that has been bothering me the most is that he's passing up good looks. He's open for a three, or he's down underneath with an easy layup or something like that, and he passes it off to Mobley, who's contested and has to throw up a shot with one second left on the clock. That's happened quite a few times over the last five or six games, and I can't think anything other than just, oh, he's not confident right now. There's something that's bothering him, And he would rather defer to the players around him because he knows that he's surrounded by a lot of talent. But there has to be a little more of a competitive edge on his part. He's got to start saying, no, tonight I'm the guy. And, of course, he did have a 52-point night against Minnesota this year. I'm sure he's going to have a couple of more explosive nights this season. But I would like to see him consistently score about 24 to 26 points a night. And I'd like to see him shoot closer to the 50% range, 47, 48% from the field, and I'd like to see him shoot 42, 43% from three. Right now, I love that his stats are up on assists, but I would expect that adding a guy like Mitchell to the team. Frankly, his assists should maybe be up four or five instead of just two, so.
1: The Cavs are averaging 15.4 turnovers a game, which puts them 10th in the lead. A lot of these turnovers seem to happen at the end of games or when the team is trying to force things on offense. How can they reduce these turnovers?
0: I think it's really important to understand that this team is still very young. It's not an excuse, but it's what we have seen in these last minute or end of game scenarios where you have guys under 24, under 25 trying to close out games Evan Mobley looks a little shaken at times. I think he's playing really well, but there are times when he gets bumped off his spot too often when he's trying to back down defenders. Darius, his play has been a little shaky, and he'll just try to force the ball into windows that don't exist. Then it doesn't help that they don't really have a number three point guard Neto is used rarely but maybe the third or fourth best passer on this team right now is karis Levert, which doesn't bode well lavert is a solid passer but he's not known to be a player who's going to break a team down with his passing and getting guys in the right spot and that's what i've seen more often is the players will do too much individual play. They'll have an action or they'll have a possession happen on offense. And they'll make the wrong decision and end up getting cornered or triple teamed or double teamed. And they'll give the ball up pretty easily. And that's just what I'm seeing is the they're getting trapped too often in these late game scenarios specifically. Throughout the actual ebb and flow of the game, it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier in the episode, which is they just are forcing passes too often. They're looking for things that aren't there. And I think a lot of that still has to do with, as I mentioned, their youth and that they've had so many different lineups. And I just hope that... Once they bring back Dean Wade, once Rubio plays and he starts getting into the flow of the offense, that'll hopefully calm down or drop off a little bit. Thank you
1: for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. Let's go Cavs!